Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. For any new listeners who don't know what to expect, in each episode, I interview an expert on an emerging area of public relations. I get to the facts, but I leave out the jargon. It's a podcast about marketing, but it's in plain language. No, really, it is. (laughs) Welcome back to all of my regular listeners too. If any of you have any comments or questions, just tweet me at Stella Bales. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify and on iTunes, whatever you listen on at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. Now, a few episodes ago, you may remember that I interviewed Rebecca Jolly and Joe Belliotti. They are the authors of How Music Grows Brands, which is a best-selling book. We got into the detail of the huge benefits that a brand can feel when they have music as part of their campaign or as part of their marketing strategy. And it can have a real positive impact on the business as well. Now, what we didn't explore is the other side of that partnership, the music artist, and how the involvement of a track in a TV ad or a PR campaign what impact that can have on the artist. Can it make or break an artist? So today, that's what I want to get into. So I'm interviewing Yelena Grosvenich. She is the director of film and television at Columbia Records, and she sets up a lot of these partnerships. Yelena explains to us how, just like brands, music artists also have objectives in audiences. So when you find these matches in these objectives and target audiences, it can be a really powerful partnership. She talks about the benefits of working with new artists and how when you find a match in niche interest points, again, it can be really powerful because often new artists have built up really engaged fan bases. And when you can find that match, then the partnership really works really well. Yelena has seen lots of changes in the music industry since she's worked in it. So she goes through some of those and how that affects a partnership. She also predicts what she expects to see in the next five years. Really, really useful. We also get into how music is so important to us on a day-to-day basis. And we reveal the tracks that we have to play every single morning to be able to start our days. (laughs) So whether you are on the brand side and you're thinking about having music as part of your campaign, or you're on the music side and you're a music PR, honestly, this episode is gold dust. So without further ado, here is Yelena. Yelena, thank you so much for joining me on the PR Resolution Podcast. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's good. It's good. I'm really excited about this actually because it was quite recently, some of the listeners will know that I interviewed the authors of a book called How Music Grows Brands. And they really went into the detail about how brands benefit by Mm -hmm. growing the brands and even having business proof of impact by working in music partnerships. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to speak to you because we're going to get into the the flip side. You know, how, what's the benefit of music to the artists and to the producers by being associated to different projects or TV shows, et cetera. So this is why I'm so, so excited to speak to you. So could you just share with me and the listeners what your role is all about, what it involves? Absolutely. So I am the director of film and television at Columbia Records. So my job is to sell and market our artist music to different films, television shows, video games, sports programs, any sort of visual media that uses music to drive the narrative in their projects. So really my job is 
sales and marketing with a little bit of, you know, legal work behind it because my job is to negotiate these deals for these artists and to give them opportunities to have their music placed and marketed in these different types of programs. Cool. It's like the ultimate product placement, but for music artists. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So do you have an audience strategy for your artists? Yeah. So I think, I mean, what's the best part about what we do is our audience strategy is as wide and as big as possible because our ultimate goal with licensing is to get their music heard and viewed by as many people as possible. So of course, we're always kind of narrowing it down to be like, okay, this is the type of music we're putting out and this is their typical demographic. What types of programs are targeting those types of demographics? And we'll work to target those. But then at the same time, will want to have that music placed in sports programming or the Olympics where everybody is watching it. So really the more the merrier for us, but we definitely take the time to narrow in on programming that makes sense at a little line with the music because not all music matches all projects. Yeah. Okay. So who you've just mentioned a couple of examples there, like sports events and, and TV shows. So what kind of people organizations are you working with when you're placing Columbia Records artists? Yeah. So we are working with television networks, with film studios, so TV networks like NBC, ABC, as well as the streamers, Hulu, Amazon, Netflix. We're also working with film studios from Paramount Pictures to Warner Brothers to independent studios like A24 or small independent directors, producers, and filmmakers. And then all the sports teams, we're working with the various sports networks like ESPN, as well as we work with a lot of video game companies too. So video game companies like Riot Games to EA to Fortnite, so Epic Games. So really we kind of work across so many different verticals. So uh, let's take gaming, for example. Mm -hmm. What team is it that you would work with there? Like who who's deciding what kind of music they need to enhance that game? Yeah. So a lot of those different companies, they hired these people called music supervisors. So music supervisors are the ones who are responsible for the actual selection and licensing and placement of the music. So my clients are those third-party music supervisors that are hired by these organizations. So sometimes these organizations will use third-party music supervisors or they have in-house teams that will make those decisions for them. Or sometimes they don't have either of those. And it can just be someone in a legal legal and business affairs team or someone in a marketing team. So it really kind of varies as to who is responsible for the selection and licensing of music for these projects. Yeah. So you mentioned the marketing team there, and that really relates back to the conversation that I was having with the guys, the authors of How Music Grows Brands. And they were saying that it's a real like emerging role that's starting to happen in-house at brands, only really the biggest brands have sort of music supervisors or looking for, for that the right kind of music to fit with the brand. Are you finding that, that there are sort of like different types of people now? And is it growing now that people oh, are with music? Absolutely. I mean, I want to say just in the last few weeks, Coca-Cola announced that they're going to be doing this big in-house like music creation team. So that is something that brands are really paying attention to where they're trying to figure out how they can make it really tailored and curated for their audience. So I think that there's a real strong interest right now in having music as part of the story for whether it be a brand or a narrative project or even documentary type projects where we see music that it really drives people and it brings in a different audience as well. Sometimes you may think of a brand or you might think of a TV show, but then when you hear an artist is associated with that brand, 
you might it might be a more favorable thing for you to tap into. Yeah, it's such an amazing impact that it can have for a brand. Going back to your artists, what kind of difference or impact have you seen by placing an artist on a particular show or a particular game? Like you said at the beginning, it's about building the awareness and building the audience. But have you really noticed like a, a change in the audience or what's your, been your biggest success? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, over time, I've been doing this for almost 10 years and I've seen many different types of things like that, of that nature. So I've seen an artist who, you know, may have already had a nice following and then he has, his music is placed on a big show and everyone goes, oh my God, the streams have gone up 2000% or it's being shazammed way more. So it's really kind of driving that audience to art to become a fan of the music, which is exactly all we could dream of. So, you know, our biz- my biggest success, I mean, I'm so lucky to have been a part of so many wonderful successes. So, you know, there's one story in particular of when I, at the time, a smaller known artist named Lil Nas X was just coming onto the scene with this gigantic song called Old Town Road. And a few weeks into the project already being number one, where people may not have been familiar with Lil Nas X as an artist, but they definitely knew the song. And one of the big film studios, Lionsgate, was looking to place his song in the movie trailer for Rambo 5, starring Sylvester Stallone. So a huge audience already built in and people already wanting to see the movie, but they wanted to figure out what type of music to use to make a bigger impact. So this song was already charting number one for a few weeks. And I had the opportunity of placing this song into the movie trailer for that project, which then increased his fan base and kind of drew his music to maybe slightly older audience. So an audience that wasn't on TikTok or wasn't on social media. And then it really kind of catapulted him into mainstream, you know, mainstream major movie studio audience. So And at the time, it was really special because we really got to elevate his artistry to show that this song is not just some internet sensation. It is backing a major movie studios trailer with a huge superstar in the film. So that really made such a difference for him. And then that song continued to be number one for, I believe it was 19 weeks. So and it's the number one, the number one most successful song in recorded music history for the charts. So. It was kind of a perfect storm for an artist like that. And as we know now, Lil Nas X has gone on to do huge different partnerships. Recently, he did a partnership with Smartwater. He has done, he, we did a great partnership with a company called Riot Games with League of Legends, where he recorded an original song for them. So, you know, it starts small and then it just adds up and that really elevates both the artist and these brands because they want to tap into these artists you know, communities as well. Yeah. How important do you think it is for a brand or the organizations that you're working with and the artists to be aligned on, you know, what their message that they're trying to portray or or what they're about? Do you feel like that needs to match up or is it all just about audience size? No, I think really right now, authenticity is everything. And I think people can really see through and smell when something is inauthentic. So a lot of our artists, well, they really care about the projects that they're working on. So my job specifically is when a company or a brand reaches out to me and they say, hey, here's the project, here's what we want to do, and here's what we want you know, with your artists, here's how we want them to be a part of it. My job is to really relay that message and to explain you know, 
kind of to give a little bit of my personal advice to say, you know, I actually think this would be a great project for you to be a part of, or alternatively, I've definitely, there have been opportunities and times where I've said, I don't think this really aligns with what you're looking to do with your, you know, with your story as an artist. So, because these brands and these, you know, companies, they can spend a lot of money on licensing and because they know the value of what it means to have an artist's music and an artist's, you know, community come with them as part of that. So a lot of times, you know, it can, it doesn't always mean that I want things, I, you know, these artists want to be a part of it just for the check or anything of that nature. So, mm. yeah, that's, that's, it's great to hear that you do that kind of level of filtering and protecting for your, for your artists. And Absolutely. we've talked about the benefit to a brand of a large artist or a well-known artist getting involved. How about when you have new artists that you want to promote and you're almost doing the PR job for those new artists? Like, how do you go about getting a sort of an unknown up and coming, just signed artist that you may be excited about, but nobody else knows? How do you go about getting them partners up and placed? Absolutely. So, you know, what's really interesting is really figuring out what their audience is and figuring out, well, what projects out there will really would really benefit from having those audiences with that's these artists' music into their projects. So my job is to really interpret that information and to present that to these music supervisors or film studios. So, you know, when there is a brand new artist that we're working with and we want to get them placed on a certain type of TV show, my job is to really, you know, sweet talk their stories. So really a lot of what my work is, is simply just relationship based where my, you know, my job is to have these strong relationships with the studios, with the decision makers, with the filmmakers, with the music supervisors to say, Hey, like we would love for you to be a part of this artist story and champion them because, you know, the best part about working in music and the type of work that I do is the, the people that are on the other sides, my clients really love and care about music. So oftentimes they want to be the first to the table because they never, you know, what's so fascinating about music is you never know who's going to be the next big thing. Like a lot of independent artists or small artists who are brand new developing artists are going to become the next big legacy artist. And that can be through the power of sync licensing, which I think is just such a fascinating thing because, you know, kind of bringing it back to the top, you, you know, it's about these small artists who may have the opportunity to have the biggest platform. And then all of a sudden they're the next big Adele, they're the next fiance, they're the next Lil Nas X. Yeah. And do some of your newly signed artists, do they tend to have some following already, even if it's a small following online before they're signed? I'm just thinking from the PR perspective, a lot of our uh, listeners will be people doing creative projects and Mm -hmm. want to have a music element as part of their campaign, but they will need to have some kind of audience. So do people tend to have an audience already when they're signed? Yeah. So, you know, working at a label like Columbia Records, you know, the artists that we're typically signing are artists who have some type of audience. So whether, you know, and not every artist is expected to have this wide audience that, you know, spans many different types of people. It might be a really small niche audience, which can be important for, you know, the marketing and publicity of a brand because they maybe they want to target a very specific audience. They're looking to target, you know, male Gen Z who are from the Midwest. And so we have artists that have those, you know, really niche audiences. So I think that's also something really special is that these artists already have, you know, audience. And again, 
thanks to the power of the internet, TikTok and Instagram and Discord and all these different types of social media that companies that we can really dive in and target exactly what we need with these with these artists and their you know rabid fan bases Mm. i mean that's what from a pr perspective that is what works when we get really really targeted about exactly who we're trying to reach so if people can come to you with that kind of brief and the audience are kind of trying to reach it's amazing you mentioned the social platforms there and it's definitely an area that i wanted to come on to because we've seen like a real shift in how music becomes popular, the changes in the music industry. And now some of the biggest records we know of are because, you know, the Harry Styles huge on is a huge background track on TikTok or Instagram videos. Do you find that that is the case? And also do, when you have, you see a success in a record like that, do you, do they tend to have been placed elsewhere first, like for, on a TV show, for example, or can it just be that they do get big from being u- used as background tracks on TikTok or Instagram? Absolutely. I mean, I think so many record labels are seeing that they're able to identify what music is going to be hot and it's going to be popular based on social media. And from there, we can then translate that social media audience into a mainstream media audience to say, hey, this song has 3 million you know, views on TikTok. And we take it to the networks and the studios and the music decision makers at the mainstream medias to say, hey, this song is doing really well on the internet. We think it's going to do really well in your television program, in your video game, in your TV show, You know, directly pulling that information from the internet. So it's kind of wild that the internet is now really the driving force to then say, this is why this music is going to be big. It's not just radio stats anymore. It's not just how many people are at the concerts. It's really, you know, the internet can really speak loudly for these artists. You mentioned stats there. (laughs) There are so many different numbers that you must be looking at there, Mm whether it's used in a computer game or, or elsewhere. How do you sort of measure whether a partnership has been successful? Yeah, I mean... Definitely the stats. You're looking at the number of impressions. You're looking at the number, you know, has has purchasing gone up? Has viewership gone up? Have Shazam's gone up? So there's, I mean, working at a major label, data is everything. The statistics are everything. And we have a lot of wonderful proprietary systems and incredible people on our team who can really navigate that and feed that information back to us as well as to our partners. So really, you know, we are able to see pretty simply like, was this successful or was it not? But I think also a huge part of, you know, what working in the music industry is as well as beyond the numbers and beyond the stats, it's the gut feeling and the intuition of how did that feel? You know, did these artists appreciate it? Did they feel good when they had their music a part of it? Did they enjoy the experience? So that's what I also love about working on our side. It's not just, we're not just numbers. We're not just stats. Like we're dealing with real humans. We're, we're dealing with real people and we're dealing with really vulnerable people because to be an artist, you got to wear your heart on your sleeve and then some. So, you know, we really get to see, you know, okay, of course we have the numbers and the stats. We can see if something was successful or unfortunately if something was did not hit or was not successful. But then we also get to see like, well, how did it feel? It's really, you know, kind of two sides. Yeah. Do you find that some artists are more excited about these kind of projects than than other ones or or is is there a bit of shifts that everyone now does these kind of partnerships? Yeah, you know, it definitely, there are still some artists who are not interested in having their music placed in these types of programs for a variety of reasons, whether 
they just don't feel aligned with the, you know, the creative of the project, or they just simply don't believe in sync licensing. And that's totally okay. I mean, I think, you know, just like, you know, with anything that we do in our jobs, like we don't have to do everything just because it's being offered to us. And while money talks, it doesn't scream always. Some people aren't motivated by that. So, you know, I think it's really interesting that some artists just simply are not into it. But I will say there's definitely more of a shift that more people are are into it and they are interested in growing their audience because I think they see the value in what it is to have their music married to picture and to see that, you know, that having their music placed with these brands or these different types of programs will really elevate them. And then, you know, with that extra money, allow them to do more with their own music. So I think there is more of a shift that artists are really into having their music, you know, a part of these types of things. This podcast is brought to you by Coverage Book, the tool that creates beautifully designed reports with credible metrics you can be proud of. Head to coveragebook.com for your free trial. So interesting. So the, the ones that do really care about the project that they're about to get involved in, can the sort of the agreement and the contract part of it be more than just the amount of money that's being handed over? Like, do you get into sort of objective sharing or anything like that? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of times they'll be part of it, you know, they'll be part of the marketing of it. They'll say, hey, like we can post on social media and we can help promote the project or you know, we can come do a concert for the brand and have, you know, and have you guys also bring additional money into help supporting my tour or to say, hey, here's the artist tour presented by X brand or presented by X TV show. So there's so many new and creative ways that people want to get the word out there because again, it is mutually beneficial to have these artists attached to these projects. And these projects want to be attached to these artists because Music fans are so deeply authentic and they're so, what's the word I'm looking for? So loyal. And I think that is something that a lot of projects want to tap into is into loyal fan bases. Mm-hmm. Because if there, if this artist that people idolize want or are part or promoting this brand or having their music in the trailer for this project, they go, oh, that means this artist likes this or this artist cares about it. So if they care about it. I want to care about it. It sounds like it could, be, it could be a really, really fun process. If both sides are getting creative together, it could be quite collaborative. How does it tend to work in that way? Does does it tend to be that one side pitches an idea and then you say yes or no, or does it grow into being a collaborative approach? It can. It totally can vary. So, you know, sometimes a really standard way is a film studio will just say, hey, we want to use this song. Here's the amount of money we're going to offer you, yes or no. And then, you know, maybe the artist says, oh, actually, like, I'm really into this. Is there anything more that I can do to be a part of this? And then that's kind of this real organic partnership or a studio or a networker say are going to say, hey, we want this artist to really be a part of it. And we're presenting this full package. So we have the licensing component. We have a marketing component. We have a live performance component. Like we want this to be a big overarching partnership. And so that can be a really lucrative opportunity. And the artists can also come in depending on the level of artist they say they are and say, well, here's what I, here's the value that I want to add. And here's actually what I want to do. And here's how I can leverage, you know, what I'm looking to do with my career with this brand or this company. So Really, there's so many different ways it can go. And that's what's so exciting is that it can always go so many different ways. It's not really that 
any project is kind of, you know, clear cut stamp, you know, stamp and move on. Mm. It feels like there's so many opportunities here for especially the listeners of this show, which tend to be marketing and PR people. Do you have any tips for them if they were to approach Columbia Records with a project? And they definitely, a lot of the creative probably would have happened already. So what tips would you give them to get in touch with you guys? Yeah, I think, you know, something that I would love to share is I would love to have these marketing teams be open and to be really receptive to working with newer developing artists or to doing something that's a little left of center. So oftentimes, you know, marketing teams may just pick the song that they hear on the radio because, you know, that's where they're, that's where they're getting their music is from the radio or just from, you know, the numbers and the stats and the charts versus us on the label we can figure out, well, this song is about to be the next big hit or this artist is the next big thing. And we want these brands to be a part of their story to help elevate these artists. So then we can help, you know, drive these artists into the places that we want to be. And these brands can be ahead of the curve on something, you know, as opposed to them using an artist that is already number one, it's already doing really well. They can be ahead of the curve and, you know, take a risk with us. Because I think what is so special about working in the music industry is that we're risk takers. I mean, we're signing these artists when they aren't already number one. They aren't a big, big success. They may not even have a huge following, but we want these companies to help support that narrative and to say, hey, come be a part of this exciting new project. And I think that if you know these marketing teams and these PR people are open to that, we'd love to have them on the ride. Yeah. I think, like you said earlier, being really, really open with and specific about who they're trying to target and Mm -hmm. niche audiences is what works when we're when we're communicating messages. So, you know, they can be open and share as much of that as possible. Then you can find the right people, can't you? It's been fascinating hearing about how the partnerships work and the collaborative approach that you have now. It seems that it's really changed and moved on in the last five, especially 10 years. But how do you see things moving on now and into the next five years? Yeah, I think, you know, I think something that is going to be changing a lot is there's going to be a lot more bespoke opportunities. So We've seen the success, you know, I actually, I just saw Barbie last night and I saw it, I saw it yesterday as well. (laughs) It's a a must. I'm like, you know, I I thought about, I'm like, maybe I'll go next week after opening weekend, but I was like, I want to be a part of the cultural conversation, which, you know, I think with, you know, part of being a part of the cultural conversation is these brands and these studios are recognizing the value of music in their projects and about creating bespoke music because then they have something that is very specific and that will always tie back to their projects. So Columbia Records had the honor of having a few different of our artists. We had Haim, we had Dominic Pike, we had the Kid Leroy, where they got to create original songs that are now tied to the Barbie movie and that soundtrack, which is going to be successful because that film was so successful. So having new music attached to that is going to be huge. And as I mentioned before, where Coca-Cola is now having a new music, a music brand part of their, you know, pro- of their brand that's really going to be elevating. So I think bespoke opportunities are going to be really special because then it really gets to tether that artist to the brand or to that company and to that project even further. So I think that's going to be, you know, a big part of the future where it's already been a part of the future. It's already been a part of the the process, but I think it's going to become something even more. And then I also think that there's going to be just a lot more open partnerships. So maybe it's going to be more tourist sponsoring, or maybe it's going to be more 
partnerships where an artist is going to collaborate on an original flavor for a drink, or they're going to maybe have a guest spot in a show. So I think there's going to be a lot more of that because I think they're just going to realize the value can be just outside of a quick drop of a song into a project where they're like, we can tap into this loyal artist fan base Mm. and really dive in further. Yeah, it's so true. The original sort of creation of of music, I've really seen successes with that. It's never doesn't seem like it's ever gone wrong. I know that there's been yeah. Talker Taylor Troublemaker, which is a, an agency in London and New York. They won lots of awards last year for uh, creating a song called "It's Raining Them," which mm. was like a really good campaign. But yeah, that went well, and and that that was on a much smaller scale, but. It does always work so well when that happens. So it's good to for the marketing teams and creative teams to really be thinking about this right at the sort of original part of the of the idea, right? And and to keep enough budget for this kinds of things. Yes, yes. Uh, budget is really important because you know musicians being a, being a performing musician and a touring musician, it is hard out there, and it is not just simply you know it is not just when you sign a record deal you're a millionaire like. You got to, you sign this record deal, you make, you make a ton of music, but you have to recoup that money to then make money afterwards. So it's not easy being an artist. So what is so special about licensing and being a part of, you know, brand partnerships is that this is a real valuable source of income for these artists. And to have these brands really recognize the importance of what it means to hire these artists to be a part of their project that, you know, we continue to find ways to make it really beneficial for everybody. How proactive do you have to be? I mean, it seems like that this is becoming more of an important role, both on the brand side and the artist side, but are you still working hard to try and bring the two together or or are they flying in? (laughs) No, every day, you know, even though I work and I have the honor of working with the biggest artists of all time, you know, my job is, you know, at Columbia Records, we have 170 something artists on our roster. So it's really, you know, my job is to really create opportunities for these new artists and these priority artists. And they change and they shift all the time. We're constantly signing artists. And my job is to figure out, you know, how to get these these new artists, these opportunities. Because like I mentioned before, you we don't know who the next big artist is going to be. It is the wild, wild west out there. So while I could just sit and lean back and just collect the checks and the requests for the Harry Styles, Beyonce's and Dells of the world, you know, my job is to promote the music from Jesse Murphs, Holo G, Peter McPolin, Chloe Bailey, you know, artists that you may have heard their name or you may not have heard their name, but my job is to make sure that one day you do know all of their names. You sound like a very busy woman. <laughs> what do you do to keep the work and life balance? I'm sure you have to do a lot of networking as well. So how Absolutely. do you stay calm and collected? <laughs> Ooh, I love that question. I I am someone who really values mental and physical health. So I think the conversation over the last few years has been really you know, important and driving forward the importance of a healthy work-life balance. So I am the type of person where from seven to eight o'clock, I turn off most of my technology and I will cook or I'll read a book or I'll go outside and take a walk or listen to a record on, you know, on my vinyl player. Or, you know, I also really value my morning. So every morning I wake up, I meditate, I take a walk and I work out. I think it's really important to stay healthy and well, because when I am doing my best, that's when I can perform my best. And that's when I can show up as my best. And I want to lead by example. So I also... You know, I lead workout classes. That's part of what I do. And I have, you know, a charitable component to that because when I give back and when I do good for the world, 
good things tend to come my way and not in a selfish way, but when good things come my way, I have that good energy to put forward. So I think it's really important to stay balanced and to set boundaries in, in your personal life and your professional life. So when you don't feel good about something or when something's not working out, you can just sit back, reassess, reevaluate, and think about what you want to do going forward. Because again, you have to be your best in order to do your best. Mm. So that's something that I really want to impress upon people that it's not selfish to be you know, to care about yourself. I think it's really important to just be healthy, be well, and to focus on that. Just be, you know, we are not intended to be these crazy workhorses working insane hours. You know, it's, if we take a little bit more time for breathing room, we're able to be more creative. We're able to come up with new and innovative ideas. If we were just sitting at a computer, click clacking for multiple hours a day and never getting up, you wouldn't really move anywhere creatively in your brain. You would just kind of be on that same loop and pattern doing the same thing over and over again. And, you know, the benefit of working with artists is they're not sitting behind a computer all day. They are not doing any of that. They have to live life in order to create music. So it's incredibly deeply inspiring to work in the industry that I do because I get to be around creative energy all day long. And I think that's so important is to Find what helps you be creative mentally and physically and energetically and spiritually. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing hearing this. And it's, it feels that even though we're talking about work-life balance, actually the your routine that you have in the morning filters throughout the day. So it's not a separate, is it? You're benefiting from having that set routine in the morning because then you're able to be creative and then pull in those creative projects, it seems. So love it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Yelena, thank you so, so much for your time. How can listeners follow you or or keep up to date with what you're doing? Absolutely. So I'm really active on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at yelena.wave, W-A-V, which is a take on a high resolution music file. And then I also have a fitness company where I lead free music driven workouts in partnership with different charities called The Secret LA. And, you know, like I've said, my goal is to just keep everyone healthy and well and excited about music. So you can find me on those platforms and really take advantage of you know, being a part of the music and being a part of these artists' stories. And so whether you are a big music fan or music is not a part of your life, I highly encourage you to find music in the joy of life and everything you do. Sometimes the bird sounds are the soundtrack to my morning, or sometimes I start my day listening to Bill Withers' Lovely Day. That's my fun <laughs> fact is I start almost every day listening to that song. So, you know, I really hope that everyone takes advantage of what is out there for us? There is so much and there is so much we can do. We just have to take the moment to assess and be a part of it. Absolutely love that. You've just revealed your fun fact of the song that you start most days with. Yeah. So I'm going to reveal mine now. Mm. I don't think I've ever said this, this to anybody. I start most days, pretty much every single day with Diana Ross, I'm coming out. <laughs> I love that. You know, it is it's so, you know, it's so interesting when you talk to someone about their music taste because you never know what they're going to like. So I love hearing that with a beautiful, perfect song. You know, you just got to start your day and get yourself ready and motivated however you best yeah. can. Yeah, it's a good one to get ready to. Thank you. Inspiring chat. Thank you, Yelena. I will we'll see you soon. Yes, thank you so much. I really appreciated our time.
That was the PR Resolution podcast. If you want to learn more about emerging areas of PR, join the PR Resolution and head to blog.coveragebook.com. Stay in touch by following me on Twitter at Stella Bales and make sure you subscribe to the series to get the next episode.